Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. All right, Packer fans, welcome to the On My Block podcast. I'm your host, Mike Wall. Thanks for watching. This is the Off the Bye Week 5 question edition, something that we have not done in the past. But because I didn't want to break down old game tape, uh, I found that it, I can sit and watch game tape. All, and like if, if you said, hey, you, Mike, do you want to break down an old 2004 uh, game tape? I'd say, oh, yeah, I'd love to do that. Uh, but two problems. Apparently... Uh, the video was so bad back then that the people of today can't even understand what the hell they're watching. And two, uh, nobody cares except for me. Me, I, like my dad will watch. Hey, uh, hey, I like that podcast with you were on the game. You were on the uh, tape. I said, oh, okay, thanks. So we're going to do some five questions coming off the bye week. Uh, the show is always sponsored by BetOnline.ag. BetOnline is your number one source for all your betting needs. Get all the latest odds, lines, and matchup reports for baseball, boxing, golf, esports, football, and more. BetOnline continues to be the fastest and easiest way to place your wagers, including live betting, your favorite casino and card games available to play right from your phone. So head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and get into the action. Remember, use your promo code BELIEVE, that's B-L-E-A-V, for your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online where the game starts. And uh, we're going into a, a really interesting time during the season. So historically... The way that you kind of break your season down, everybody talks about you break it down in quarters. And I think certainly as a team, I think that's what you do. But when you're a player, you're kind of looking like, where are these? Where's the bye week? Because you know that you have this grind from, you know, before and after the bye week. So where's the bye week one? And then two, where are there games that are significant because of the opponent you're playing? Maybe that's an individual opponent or a team that's nationally televised. And then where where are some some places where you can actually pick up some you can gain some ground? And I think right now, if you look at the next couple of weeks, Denver Broncos, Minnesota Vikings, L.A. Rams, Pittsburgh Steelers, Chargers lost last night, and then you finally play a, a really good team in the Detroit Lions. But you're looking at this next four to five weeks, and you're going, every one of these games is more than winnable. Every one of these games is more winnable. We're a, a one point favorite going into Denver. This weekend with uh, Sean Payton and Russell Wilson, we're going to do a preview show on that on Thursday, as per usual, we'll break down some tape on the Denver offensive defense. Interesting, interesting team to say the least. But I wanted to just do a five questions coming out of the bye week because I think as an organization um, trying to figure out what direction you're going to go, how this season's gone so far, as opposed to maybe what you thought it was going to look like, you know, there's some questions that need to be answered. The number one. How can the defense, who's got seven or eight, you know, starting first round draft picks, they're 14th overall, but they're giving up 143 yards a game on the ground. How do you get better against the run? 
And I just said it. We're playing at least in the next four weeks. I know the Chargers are a little bit better, but the next four weeks, you have teams that are in the bottom half of the league rushing. Broncos, Vikings, Rams, Steelers, all in the bottom half of the league. I think the Steelers are um, anemic in the rushing game. I think there's three things you can look at here. Schematically, when we look at the Raiders game um, in totality, you start picking up some things and seeing some keys, some adjustments, keying off the fullback and, and, and sending Quay early in the game before he got hurt, as an example, of that is the way a lot of good defenses are moving now uh, in the way forward. They, they've always historically done that. We haven't seen it that much from Greenbow, or at least it hasn't been as obvious because they'll shift, like they'll move defensive linemen, but they're not necessarily bringing the, the, the safety slot. They're not necessarily firing the linebacker. Now, it backfired a couple times when running the cross dog against the a, the split flow look we talked about the, the tight end hipped off and he's going backside when they decide not to go backside and you run the cross dog you can get into some trouble so you have to be smart about it but i think being aggressive and kind of forcing certain players to become more aggressive at the line of scrimmage is going to be uh, a big key to improving the run defense giving again they're giving up 143 yards a game as, as we're standing now i think very simply, this team can improve fundamentally, and I think I talked about it on some other shows. Did you spend the bye week kind of really identifying and assessing at the individual level what each player can do to get, you know, maybe more than incrementally better at their positional requirements? For a lot of the guys on defense, that that comes down to that comes down to physicality, tackling, uh, run fits. Can we be more precise with our actions? Can we be more deliberate with our actions? Can we get better at the kind of the automated stuff, the tackling, so that then we can think about the read and react stuff, the run fits, the general physicality of the game? Did we improve on that? Did we give our players a plan at the individual level to improve on that? Or did we just say, hey, we're going to work on these fits. We're going to work on our scheme. I think Matt LaFleur said last week, there's nothing scheme can't fix. Well, if you can't tackle, you can't tackle. If you don't fit right in the run game, you don't fit right in the run game. If you're not a physical player, because you don't understand how to be a physical player, which is still the case with even at the professional level, because you're, you're you're talking about relative physicality, right? Versus the versus the next guy, not not against the regular Joe. So that I think that's something you can dramatically improve. And then the last thing is when we talk about from a scheme standpoint, you know, they play a lot of off coverage, and everybody's always complaining about the passing game and how you know. I think last week maybe it was Rudy Ford is sitting at the end zone. Uh, when the ball was first and goal at the nine-yard line, they catch a slant, they go into the end zone, everyone's going, okay, why are we doing this? Well, it doesn't only hurt you in the passing game. Off coverage and not playing at the line of scrimmage hurts you in the running game, as we saw Josh Jacobs break off his longest run on a kick play last week where he breaks it off for 40 yards. Why? Well, because the corner who's playing off doesn't fill to the line of scrimmage, you know, fast enough, and all of a sudden gets, you know, their best player, offensive player, or second best. Sorry, I've got about Devante. My 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 bad. Doesn't get their best running back, allows them to get north and south, and all of a sudden that's a very very difficult ask. And you let an explosive player make an explosive play just because you're already off by design in this off coverage. You're nine yards off the line of scrimmage, and you're not filling as fast as you can. So that's kind of schematically you're putting yourself in a bad position, but also when we talk about fits and we talk about being aggressive, talk about being physical, 
you have to want to you have to you have to attack the line of scrimmage you have to attack their ball carrier like your hair's on fire and i don't know if that's something that we've done historically it's certainly something i think that we can dramatically improve on as we move forward and that kind of rolls into the other side of the ball question two how does this team as an offense now generate more rushing yards Right now, we're 27th in the league at 81 yards per game. Obviously, the number one answer here is get Aaron Jones healthy, get Aaron Jones involved. I think Aaron Jones solves a lot of these issues. We've seen at multiple times with A.J. Dillon this year, and A.J. is a friend of the show. I like A.J. Um, I think that A.J.'s done a lot for this, this club, and I think that when you have both those guys complementing one another – it seems that he finds the feel of the game a little bit easier. He's also missed, when you look on tape, we've missed some holes. We've missed some opportunities for explosive plays. And, you know, the difference between 27th at 81 yards a carry and, what you know, let's say 20th at maybe a shade over a tick over 100 yards a carry. The difference in those is like one explosive play. You know, one five-yard gain turns into a 15-yard gain. One three-yard gain or two three-yard gains turn into 10-yard gains. And if you're missing those plays during the game and you're just churning out 3.3, 3.7 yards of carry, I mean, I'm not saying it's ideal, but you can see where the perception, the, the, the way you feel about yourself in the locker room, when you get to that 100 mark, when you get to that 120 yards per game mark, when you're able to say, we know that going into every game, we're expecting to get three, four explosive plays in the running game. Um, I think that does a lot for the mentality of the players in the locker room and certainly the coaching staff as they're calling plays. I think the other part about this is that the run game, you're not doing it to prove a point. I felt in the Raiders game in particular, it's like you started the last game talking about how you want to establish the run against the Lions and you don't run the ball for the first six plays. And then you, you're kind of forcing it. And so in the Raiders game, it's like you feel like they're trying to prove a point. And this happens all the time. And a lot of times, quite frankly, in the preseason, back in the day when they actually played in the preseason, you know, Mike Sherman might come to the game and go, hey, we're going to run the ball for the first quarter, period. Like, we're going to run the ball for the first series. And you're going to go down as far as you can, especially if you're struggling in practice. We're going to run the ball until you prove you can't. And so you go, you know, if because if you're averaging three and a half, four yards a carry, it's not great but you're going to get a first down every three carries. So you just keep going and going and going and going and going. And you kind of prove to yourself you can do it. In right now with this team, in a regular season game, we don't need to be doing that. It has to fit. It has to marry up with what the defense, or excuse me, what the, what the passing game, like matchups, combinations look like. You know, when you're building out this, when you're building out your offensive game plan, you know, I like to start with the run game and you go, okay, this is how we're going to attack in the run game. These are the formations, these are the personnel agreements that we want to use. And then the passing game corner is going to come over. The guys who are looking at the passing game are going to go, well, this is the route combinations we want to use. We want to make sure these two or three players are on the same side. How do we get that matchup? How do we get them through, through personnel, through motion? How do we get them into the coverage that we want so we can call plays in certain situations? And all that has to mesh up. And so sometimes it feels like right now it's a little bit disjointed where you've got so many plays but there's not a rhythm and a flow in the run or the pass game and certainly not how they marry up. And so we really just want to focus on let's not put a square peg in a round hole just to say that we're trying to run the football. Let's be very deliberate about 
what we're running, when we're running it, how we're running it, and just become a master at maybe less stuff, but get really good at those double teams, maybe the pin and pulls, things that the running backs are good at, things that the wide receivers are willing to block, things that the offensive linemen excel at. That is the key to this right now. And then obviously marrying that up with, is there under center? Is there shotgun? Is there keep? Is there waggle? Is there spread outs? What is, what is Jordan Love going to be able to do with this receiving core, knowing that these are the kind of plays we want to run to set up the pass? And the third part about this that is kind of a tough ask right now is you have young tight ends in the game. You have some injuries of the offensive line position. You don't really have, and maybe Elgin Jenkins, you can you can say is a yes on this, but your offensive line, your tight end have very tight end room have very few what I would just call single block winners. Like you don't have guys that you're going to say I'm going to move. You know, my guard is going to move that defensive tackle. My tackle is going to move that defensive end. My tight end is going to move that defensive end somewhere that he doesn't want to be. You don't have a lot of guys that can do that. I don't know that you have any guys that can do that. You don't have a Mercedes Lewis. You don't have a David Bakhtiari. Corey Lindsley's not here anymore. Brian Blog is not here anymore. Josh Sutton's not here anymore. TJ Lang's not, you know, you don't have those guys anymore. And so combination blocks, working on technique, making sure that communication is always right. So if they're running a stunt, you can make, you know, the center can make a triple call and alert the backside guard to come with them so they can pick up a stunt. Like those kind of things are so critical to this game right now. And it's just a question of, are we getting ourselves ready again during the bye week to focus in on those things at the individual level or that like combination guard center guard combination tackle tight end? Are we getting really good at moving humans off the spot at those uh, with those particular combination groups? I hope the answer is yes. We'll, we'll have to see here moving forward. I got a third question. Question number three, can Jordan Love increase, increase increase his efficiency over the next month? Right now, Jordan's currently sitting at somewhere around 55% completion percentage. He's got eight touchdowns, six interceptions because he had three last week. So that number's a little bit skewed, but it is what it is. Given up, he's been sacked 10 times, which is not a terrible number, not a great number, not a terrible number, but we see that Jordan's got all the qualities that you want. You know, he's elusive. He's smart. He's got a great arm. He can throw the ball over the yard. But offensively, we're kind of near the basement in yards per game. We average just over 280 yards a game, 200 yards passing. The Miami Dolphins, to put in context, are averaging a tick under 500 yards a game. We're averaging 281. The Eagles in second place are averaging almost 400 yards a game. The middle of the road is 40 yards above where we are at 332-ish, right? There's a handful of teams that are 332, 331. That's middle of the road. So we're 40 yards of offense, which is a punt, worse than average, below average. So we do a decent job of scoring points per game. And I think a lot of that, again, you go back, you look at the Bears game at 38 points per game. We're at 22, which is above, you know, we're top half of the league, certainly not where you want to be. We know that's been a roller coaster. You see the m- most recent kind of trend is that we're trending down in yards in uh, points per game. And all of this stuff, excuse me, guys, the, all of this stuff goes and points to, you know, ultimately the quarterback because he is the face of the franchise now. And he is the, he is the, uh, 
when you're the quarterback in the National Football League, you can have a bad offensive line. You can have no wide receivers. You can have no running. You can have a bad play caller. The the buck stops with you because that's the responsibility you take. That's why you get paid the big bucks. I think what you have to do as an organization, and I'm sure they've done this ad nauseum, but we just aren't privy to it, and so we come up with our own conclusions, is you figure out what, what is Jordan Love good at? Not in Not only in practice, but when the lights come on, what is he really good at? He can make every throw. He's got great speed. He seems to increase efficiency when he does like quick outs, when he does quick middle field throws. He seems to struggle at the deep routes and connecting right now. Not that he doesn't have the arm strength, but he doesn't have the connection necessarily with some of the wide receivers. Um, hasn't connected on those deep outs that we're used to seeing. Who is his guy? Like who's that go-to guy? Young players. He's new. Christian Watson was injured. Romeo Dobbs is there, but second-year player. Jordan's in his first year. Luke Musgrave, Tucker. These guys are all, you know, first-year guys. So you're you're just constantly trying to figure out what can these guys do well. And again, when you're struggling in one half of the game, averaging 81 yards on the ground, it takes away from a coverage perspective some of the things you might want to be able to do with a guy like Christian Watson, with a guy like Luke Musgrave. And we're going to get into it with the Denver Broncos. The Denver Broncos, particularly against you know the, the Kansas City Chiefs, the way they play defense and worried about you know how Travis Kelsey went off. Well, they're playing a lot of shell stuff. When they go, man, they get taken advantage of, although they have a great secondary. But you can't sit here and say with Jordan Love and this tight end, this tight end room, with you know Christian Watson and Romeo Dobbs in that wide receiver room, Jaden Reed. You can't necessarily say you're going to get treated with the same reverence as a Patrick Mahomes where they just play five, six in the box, not really worried about the run game, really worried about getting hit, hit through the air. How does this Packers offense threaten defensive principles? How does it threaten defensive leverage? And how does Jordan Love play into that? Is he the, is he the conductor of the orchestra? Is he the person that you're, everyone's got to get on my back. I'm going to do the heavy lifting. What does that look like? I think the biggest thing, is at this stage, this isn't a Super Bowl team. I think we need to recalibrate, and it's really hard for Green Bay Packer fans. It's it's even harder inside the locker room, I promise me. Like, see, I promise you. For those players to just go, like, we are not, we are not a Super Bowl caliber caliber team right now. And so we need to see what we have with Jordan Love. We need to take the training wheels off. We need to allow him to make adjustments to the line of scrimmage. We need to allow him to have uh, you know, hand signals and whatnot, all the stuff that Aaron Rodgers wanted, you know, did with did with his wide receivers. We need to either make the decision that A, that's how Jordan is going to operate. We're going to give him the reins to operate that, or B, he's not that kind of quarterback. And we actually want to use motion. We want we want to run a more Sean McVay type offense. We want to run a Kyle Shanahan type offense. We want to take some of that see what the field, you know, Peyton Manning-ish, see what the field looks like and make the adjustments as the quarterback. We want to take that off his plate and we want to run that. But we need to do, it's like Mr. Miyagi, man. You do karate down left side of the road, okay. Karate down right side of the road, okay. Karate down the middle, get squished like grape, right? You got to be all in one way or the other. I think right now when you're just trying to toe the line on a bunch of different stuff, it makes it difficult and you're not giving, you're just not getting a very proper assessment of what you have. I'd love to see what it looks like. Um, and we'll see what, again, coming out of this buy, what kind of decisions they make with that. Question four. 
kind of plays in. Are we running offensively, defensively? I have, I'm not going to talk a lot about Rispasachi and the special teams. Um, it's a very, very important part of the game, but I just remember I had to be uh, on the wedge and I, I had to run against that wedge buster number 42 for the Denver Broncos back in the nineties and early two thousands. And uh, I don't like to talk about it to be quite, quite honestly, it's brutal. Uh, are we running what we're good at or what we know? And I brought this up with Quay Walker last week talking about, you know, is, is he a, is he a, uh, a really good three, four, like when I look at Quay and I remember the pre-draft stuff and like Quay's, Quay is on a track to be a really good football player. And the problem is he's so talented and it's so important for him to do certain things in this defense that like, you know, if when he's making tackles off the line of scrimmage, you know, eight yards back behind the line of scrimmage and they're getting the, and they're breaking up these runs and you start looking at it. It's just one of those, there's a lot of people that are having problems in front of him that are causing this, but there's also some things he can improve on. And he's just a very easy person to look at because pops off on tape he's super athletic he does a lot of things well but i'm not sure if he's a three four linebacker here's something that people probably don't remember like ray lewis the guy right everyone thinks he's the best linebacker in the history of the game he when they moved to a three four when they got rid of tony syracuse and sam adams and all of a sudden he didn't have those big guys that could hold off hold off the guards from getting up up to the second level he became a completely different player for a couple of years. Like he really, really struggled in the National Football League. Brian Waters, who was the left guard for the Kansas City Chief, was the AFC Player of the Week because he beat up Ray Lewis so bad. And I think it was a Monday night football game. Think about that. A left guard for the Kansas City Chiefs was the AFC Player of the Week for the job he did beating up on Ray Lewis. This scheme might not be for our personnel. In other words, you can be amazing and not be a great scheme fit. You can be the arguably the best player at your position that ever walked on this planet and not be a good scheme fit for some of the stuff you're doing. So if you draft a guy who I remember reading the stuff when he's coming out of the draft, like for example, uh, of Quay, and it's like, this guy is a ridiculous athlete. He can, he can play in the slot. He can... He sounded like Derek Brooks. Derek Brooks didn't play middle linebacker. He sounded like a guy who had incredible range. He sounded like a guy who could be equally uh, equally disrupting in the pass and the run game. And you have to allow vote. It's like, what does Mark Wahlbrook say in, 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 uh, in the other guys? Like, I'm a peacock. Like, yeah, let me spread my wings. You got to let these guys do what they're good at. Kenny Clark's another kind of example where Kenny Clark is one of the best defensive tackles in the last eight years in the National Football League. He doesn't have the stats because he's been playing nose tackle in this defense, and that's okay. But you want a guy to be this run-stuffing, like pass rush extraordinaire, and it's just like it's really hard to be both. And it's really hard to be both when you're not getting the reps at being like a penetrating three technique Half the time you're you're a, you're a space eating nose tackle or a space eating four eye or you know or or or, and so it's it's and he can be an incredible player, but it's hard to live in two worlds. Okay, it's hard to live in two worlds to and then be great at both things or be great at either thing. And what I'd say when you watch this team, 
is I remember when Justin Tuck changed the game forever. Justin Tuck came in at defensive end. He went to the Super Bowl and he played the Patriots and he walked down and he played against the guard, against Logan Mankins, who was an all pro. And he just terrorized Tom Brady that entire game. It changed the game because all of a sudden they called it like Corvette package, but they started bringing in defensive ends and putting them at three technique, especially in these nickel looks. And one thing that when you look at where we're good is it maybe Devontae Wyatt's a great pass rusher. Maybe Kenny Clark's a great pass. I mean, certainly they, they have a reason to be on the field, but are there opportunities to get Preston, to get Rashawn, to get Enigbari, uh, to get him on the field at the same – are there more opportunities to get him on the field at the same time in pass rush situations, whether they're stand-up, whether they put their hand on the ground at the three, at, at the three technique, and get – better pass rushers on the field to create more disruption, knowing that we play our secondary a certain way. And so again, it's, it's maybe getting out of your comfort zone, but adding some things that you see on tape across the league, whether it's crazy uh, stunts and twists, whether it's, you know, bringing extra safeties, whether it's bringing, bringing linebackers more often or being more creative, the way you bring them, is it, is it adding a defensive end, taking out a defensive tackle and pass for situations like do we want to give ourselves the opportunity to ha- to to strive for that kind of success by just putting people in places that we might not be comfortable with as a coaching staff, but might be better for this team because that's what our strengths are? I want to get into this offensively, but quite frankly, like, I don't I don't think anybody really knows what we are, so it's a tough question to answer. And obviously, we see you know we see coaches like. You know, Kyle Shanahan, we see coaches like Sean McVay, and they can have success with multiple quarterbacks. They can have incredible success with multiple quarterbacks. Um, and then you see a team like Cincinnati that, you know, like I think if Cincinnati, if Joe Burrow went down, they wouldn't even have a they, – they wouldn't be a 500 football team. They wouldn't be – they might not be a 200 football team. I mean, they, they, you just see that person is one of those rare players that's literally like, everybody get on my shoulders, I'm, I've got this covered. And no matter what they call, no matter who they put in front of me, no matter who's blocking for me, I'm going to be okay. I'm Joe, like, I'm Joe Cool. I think we're a young team with long-term expectations. And I think maybe it's time to acknowledge that we need to figure this thing out scheme-wise. And I'm good with that. And I was stating that in one of the earlier questions. If they're doing that, I'm just talking about from a player's perspective now. If they're going to do that, that's great. If that's the case, then you have to show remarkable, remarkable improvement in the techniques that they're using and their ability to win their 1v1 matchups. In other words, if we're going to figure this stuff out, then let's, while we're doing that, let's figure out how to make these guys so good at winning their 1v1s that that we just feel comfortable with the decision that we come up with. And I think what you'll find is you're obviously allowed to do a lot more when you've got guys across the board that can win their 1v1 matchups. I mean, right now, if you look on offense, who's doing that? Like, who's winning their 1v1 over and over and over again? Who is winning the physical battle? Whether you think about wide receivers coming and digging out safeties in the run game, wide receiver screens blocking on the perimeter, downhill running game, the single blocks that we talked about explosive run like where where is this stuff and obviously if you're missing a guy like Aaron Jones who's the maybe the linchpin of your offense a lot of this stuff's going to go away but you should have more than you do 
and you see other teams turn wide receiver screens into explosive plays. You see other teams turn downhill runs to an explosive play, screens into explosive. Like you have to win the physical bat the battle. You have to win your one v one matchups in order for these things to happen. And if they're not happening, it can't all be just like the scheme you run and the plays you're calling. It's got to be the part of the execution. And so again, this is why the bye week is so valuable. Because if you use that time for what it's worth to improve, to improve individually, so then you come together and can be a better team for an opportunity at this point in the season to get remarkably better. And this kind of leads me to this last question, which is I think one that just is always relevant um, for a team like this, because I think when you enter this season you know, everyone's saying, well, let's temper expectations because Jordan loves a new quarterback. But it's like, wait a second. You know, Aaron was a new quarterback at some point. Brett was. A, you have a team in place that while it is the youngest team in the National Football League at the time with Bakhtiari before he got injured, you have guys at, at key positions. Kenny Clark, Rashawn Gary is an up and coming star. Devondre Campbell, although he's been hurt. You have guys, seven, eight picks on uh, first round draft picks on defense. You have guys that make you think that this team can be a very competitive team. Maybe, maybe, maybe not a Super Bowl winning team, but I think at the beginning of the season, the outlook was pretty bright. I'm not saying that's, but I just, or at all, what I, I guess I'm saying is right now, when you look at the manner in which we've lost a couple of these games, it makes you scratch your head. And maybe this is a rebuilding team. And so if this is a rebuild, like it's very easy to, draw that conclusion, new quarterback, second year receivers, first year tight ends. Like a lot of stuff has to happen right on offense. You got your, your best player on defense saying, we know defensively we can't give up touchdowns. We might have to score in order for this team to win right now because the, the, the offense doesn't have their mojo figured out. Paraphrasing. Is this the right staff for a rebuild? Because not every staff is meant for a rebuild. Not every – Staff has the patience, has the has the ability to to uh, to teach, to to develop that is required to have a rebuild. Some coaches are working kind of with a lot of end game knowledge, so a lot of down the road knowledge. I know how to I know how to. Um, I can't personally coach you know eight year olds in football. I would be terrible. Like the language thing wouldn't work. We would we would have fun, but we would, you know, we would lose every game. And uh, at, at twelve, they'd be amazing, but you know, the parents would hate me at eight, nine, and ten because I'd run boring plays and I just make sure they're really good at stuff. And then you know, when they got really good at stuff, and you started running exciting plays because they're good enough to run them now, um, then they would see. I I think in my mind they would be much better, but it would be like a, this really tough period. A lot of coaches are like, I can put the finishing touches on these high-profile players, but I don't know if uh, the individual at the individual coaching level can I go through like developing these this this team given the circumstances that are surrounding us, given the time that we have with the team, given the priorities that the head coach, the coordinators, offensive, the defensive, special teams have with how they want to use that time, like do I, is that what's interesting to me or is what's interesting to me is like, I want to beat, I'm the OC. I want to beat the DC on the other team with like how smart I am as, as a play call. And the truth is this team has really never needed to draft and develop. 
Like we talked about the Green Bay Packers is a draft and develop team. But when you have Aaron Rodgers, your window, the Super Bowl window, is until he leaves. You won a Super Bowl like 10 over 10 years ago. And every single year that you've been here, that he's been here, excuse me, there's been this sense that, okay, we, we're a Super Bowl caliber team. And we've always said this is such a great place to draft and develop. And they have developed, look, they've developed great offensive linemen, first and foremost, Bakhtiari, Corey Lindsley, Josh Shitton, TJ Lang, Brian Belong. I mean, they've drafted some dudes that can play. Chad, Marco, you know, Tausch, Flanny. Guys, they can all play at a high, high level. The relationship, the, the, the relationship, the work ethic, the draft, everything with Aaron has developed some incredible wide receivers right before him. Donald, Jordy, Greg, Devontae, the, the, James Jones, the dudes, all dudes. When Mike Holmgren, when I got drafted here, Mike Holmgren had a staff of teach. Andy Reid is a teacher. Okay? Like, I think Mike was literally a teacher. They were developing talent because they didn't have Brett. But that's how they thought about things. Brett helped develop Aaron. I don't know how much Aaron helped develop Jordan. I think it was the same idea that uh, watch how I'm doing things, and that helps a lot. But those like look, Brett, Aaron, maybe Jordan, we don't know. Those are those guys are different, man. I mean, they're just you you could never imagine that Aaron Rodgers is gonna be Aaron Rodgers. Maybe he did, but I don't think anybody else did. I mean, to be one of the Mount Rushmore quarterbacks, arguably, you just never know. It's like Tom Brady, you could put Tom Brady in any situation, you just feel like Tom Brady was gonna be Tom Brady. Mike McCarthy. It was an old school, like some people like Mike, some people don't. Everyone's grateful they gave him the Super Bowl. Mike McCarthy was an old school football coach, meaning to me, when I say old school, he coached hard. He demanded uh, a huge amount of attention to detail at the individual level. Now, I'm not talking about game management, Mike. Well, what about his game management? Okay. What I'm talking about is the expectations for performance at the offensive line, at the defensive line at the way you went about your positional requirements of the linebacker position, the, the running back position. His staff and his co his coaching staff demanded from a technical perspective, from an IQ perspective, a lot out of those players. It, you know, and we always say it was different back then. It was a little bit different back then. They just, it, the, the way that we went about business was a little bit different. And I do think with guys like Mike, with guys like Mike Holmgren, Mike McCarthy, Mike Sherman, there's just a level of teaching that went on that is different than a lot of guys in the league now. And I don't know that that's a necessarily a bad thing. It's just a thing. There's a lot of things that play into that. It doesn't make these people better or worse. It's just a different time, a different era. But when things are going, when things aren't going great and you see people getting beat individually and you realize that they're not necessarily working a lot on their individual confrontations, well, then you start thinking, well, maybe that's something that we need to work on a little bit more. Now, the chances are that this staff, as it's constructed right now, Joe Barry, you know, I, you know, obviously Coach LaFleur, you know, running the offense, Joe Barry running the defense, everybody they have underneath them. The chances are they can develop these young, talented players into a cohesive unit. 
what's making the transition more difficult is maybe a lack of veteran leadership at key positions because there's there's this book captain's class i forgot who wrote it. it's a great book and he talks about water carriers like the best captains the best the best teams in the world over all sports had this these these people they called them water carriers and they basically they they do what is required to make that team good sometimes it's the captain sometimes it's not these guys for the last 10 years have had players like mercedes lewis they've had you know Alan Lazard, who was one of the best run blocking, you know, run enhancing wide receivers in the game. Uh, Zadarius was, Zadarius changed the culture of that locker room the first year he was there. We could talk about the other years, but the first year Zadarius Smith was there, he was arguably the most, the person most responsible for the turnaround of this team. Not, not the coaching staff, not Aaron. When I talked to dudes in that locker room, Zadarius Smith was as responsible as anybody in that building for turning that team around. Adrian Amos is there. I mean, you have guys that are leaders that have left. There's gone. And there's a gap between this, um, what young players are learning from coaching, what young players and very, very young players in some of these positions that are important to success, what they're learning from experience, and then what they can learn from vets. You know, there's like, there's this old saying, the wise old man saying, you know, who wants to learn from my own failures when I can learn from somebody else's, right? Like, why do I need to break my back to make that mistake if I can learn it from a vet? So there's this gap when you're, when you're a young player and you're coming in, you're going to learn X amount from the coaching staff, I had Tom Lavat my first year. Tom Lavat told me, hey, listen, Mike Homerian said, you're not you – know, we've told, told the story. I held out. He was angry, told me I wasn't going to play. Tom comes over and says, listen, this is how it is. I got a coach of players going to play. Mike's not playing you this year. Good luck. We'll kind of get back with you next year. If Jeff Dellenbach isn't and, and, and Frankie aren't there, Frankie is taking care of the ones, but I just am watching him because he's so, you know, he Frank Winter is such an intriguing character. But then Jeff Dellenbach's not there. I don't know what I learned, right? So you learn from so much from these veteran players because then you have to, you know, you build up your experience and practice for, for say, but some of these guys are thrust into the, the game immediately. So that learning curve is different. But my point is the amount of information you can gather in that room, Devontae Adams is in that room. These guys are accelerating their learning curve because they have Devontae, right? Randall Cobb, Alan Lazard, that's why they kept him last year. Mercedes Lewis is in the tight end room right now. Even if he doesn't take a rep, these guys are probably better than they are because of the professionalism that he goes about his business with because his expertise in the areas of like blocking, for example, like the nuances, the intimate details of doing that, they're going to be better at it because they're going to have him. And so you don't have a lot of that. And so when I, you know, you ask the question, is this the right staff for the rebuild? Yeah, it probably is. But as I said at the beginning, <coughs> you have to, your perspective of time has to change. And from an organization standpoint, from a fan base, everybody has to be okay with that. Like I need to be able to go in and say, I'm going to get really good at the, my players are going to come out of this year being really good at this stuff. And whether we win the Super Bowl or not, 
you're not going to fire me. You're not going to call for my job. We're going to be really good at this. And I think the problem right now is, like we look on the defense, you see some players in position stepping up. You certainly see like Devontae Wyatt's gotten better from last year. He's not great yet, but he's gotten a lot better from last year. You see why, you know, okay, was he a first-round talent? You see the the gradual improvement of different players. You see Darnell Savage, you know, come in this year, play safety, play the safety position, and and has had some you know ups and downs. But you see net positive maybe from a season ago. So you see people improving, but what you don't necessarily see is all right. If our commitment is to develop in this young, talented team, I need to see on a week to week basis that they're getting better at winning their individual matchups. I don't know if that's the case. So that's how I would look. I would look at it as yeah, certainly. They're capable of, of getting to where you want to go as far as developing this team. But without that Brett Favre, without that Aaron Rodgers, and we don't know if Jordan Love's going to be that kind of player yet, do you have the program, do you have the structured in place for the first time, if we're being honest in a long time, that you have to draft and really develop these guys without the aid of a Hall of Fame quarterback, without the aid of you know a generational, you know, professional at the tight end in the tight end room without the aid of you know a veteran you know David Bakhtiari is not on the field right now without like all these things at, start adding up without the aid of a hall of fame Devonte Adams preceded by uh Jordy preceded by Donald preceded by free you know you've had just legacy guys in these rooms and when you don't have them for the first time there is a big gap there and I do think that's something that you have to at least acknowledge I think in those rooms when you're putting all this together. So those are our five questions. Hope that uh, gave you something to chew on here for the next couple of days before we get into our, our, our Broncos preview. The Broncos have their own set of problems. Can't wait to talk about it, quite frankly, because I think it's been uh, the last couple of years have been super interesting for, for Denver. Uh, ownership over there has got to be going like, man, the, these bond checks that they're, they're writing us for these TV contracts are awesome. But what do we get ourselves into? Happy to address a lot of that on Thursday. Make sure to hit you, hit me up with those questions. Michael 68 on Twitter process to perform on Instagram. Check. Uh, if you're enjoying this, hit that subscribe rate and review us on that uh, YouTube channel process to perform youtube.com backslash process to perform. And then, you know, certainly we're going to open at one point favorites on the road. Uh, I don't know how that's going to hold up over the week, but I will see you guys in two days from now. So enjoy the rest of the week. And uh, again, Hit me up with questions. We'll get them answered on the next show. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.